welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for the latest sermons and audio updates from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at 12.11 First Avenue North on the third floor. Come on, stay around, um, and we're going to eat some Greek food together, and then after that we're going to meet, we're going to kind of have a a state of the church kind of discussion, and so we would love for each one of you uh, to be a part of that. Even if it's your first time, it's free Greek food, and it's a time to get to know other people. That's fine. Even if you didn't sign up, again, I ordered a lot of gyro and falafel, okay? Please stay and eat the gyro and falafel. Um, And so you are welcome to do just that. So most of you know me uh, decently well, and even if you don't know me that well, you probably know that I'm kind of an English nerd. I love uh, words, I love language, I love how it all fits together, and sometimes there are words that are just strange words that I absolutely love. I was thinking about this morning, I was thinking about the word comeuppance. That somebody got their comeuppance. And I, I think that's just, it's just such a fantastic word. It's one of those words that when, when you say it, when you, when you think about someone who deserves their comeuppance, it, it just it fits so well into whatever sentence you put it in. It's, it's, it's a fantastic word. It's one of those words, it means that everyone is getting their just desserts. That's another great phrase, isn't it? Right? The, the dessert that you deserve. Right? I know what kind of dessert I deserve, or at least the kind of dessert I want to deserve. Right? And so you think about this idea of just desserts, and it's something that we as a society love. We love the idea of the bad guy getting their comeuppance. In fact, uh, J.K. Rowling, uh, the writer of the Harry Potter series, once said uh, that we love above all else when the bad guy gets their comeuppance. And she was actually uh, writing this about a character. Dolores Umbridge. If you've uh, read the books or seen the Harry Potter movies, she is the, uh, in the words of J.K. Rowling, toad-faced administrator who becomes the headmaster of Hogwarts. And she is just, she's just awful, right? In fact, most people think she's actually the worst villain. Like, she's not as scary as Voldemort, but she's just way worse. And that scene in the movie and in the book where she gets her just desserts, where the centaurs take her off into the forest, where, where she gets what she has come Coming is one of our favorite scenes because we love it when people get what they deserve. And it's strange when they don't. As much as we love the story of Dolores Umbridge getting what she deserved, other movies' stories make us a little bit uncomfortable. There was a movie a few years ago that the Coen brothers did called No Country for Old Men, and it's based on a Cormac McCarthy novel. And it's one of those movies that you walk out of kind of going, eh. Because in the whole story, there is this, the bad guy of the story, who is functionally a serial killer, he gets in a car wreck near the end of the movie and you think, ah, yes, he's finally going to get what's coming to him. He's going to get his comeuppance. He's finally getting his just desserts. And he bribes some people and walks away from the car accident. And when we see that in the movie, when we read things like that in the book, where the bad guy gets to walk away, there's something inside of us that goes, uh-uh, no, I don't like that. 
I don't like it when the bad guy walks away. I like the Dolores Umbridge stories and not the No Country for Old Men stories, right? It's because we like it when everybody else gets what they deserve. We like it when everybody else is held to a high standard. What we don't love is when that's turned around on us. Right? When it's turned around and people start sort of serving justice in our direction. I don't like that so much. Why? Because we want things to be good for us and just for other people. We want mercy for us. We want justice for others. What we don't want is mercy for others and justice for for ourselves. We want to get what we don't deserve. We want others to get what they've got coming. No one would ever say, I can't wait to get my comeuppance. If we're honest, no one would ever say, I want my just desserts. Why? Because we always use this in the context of somebody that's the bad guy. And we don't like it when those things are applied to us. This morning, we're turning our attention back to the book of Corinthians. We, uh, over the fall, we're looking at Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth. And then we took a break for Advent to, to kind of focus on Jesus and his birth. But now we're coming back to it. And as we come back to it, there's a couple of things to sort of refresh our minds on. We're right in the middle of this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. And, and where he's at, he's talking about the way that we as Christians need to be people who give up our rights. Uh, back in November, when we had our last sermon from the, the letter of Corinthians, we spoke of the way that God has called us as Christians to be the people that even though we can do things, we don't for the sake of others. That we're the kind of people that let go of what we deserve. And Paul is continuing that theme, and he's continuing that theme uh, this week in a very unique way by applying this idea to himself. You see, uh, back in the day, back in the, the time that the Bible was written, there were a lot of traveling teachers. There were people that went around from town to town, and they would teach... And whenever they would teach, the measure of how good of a teacher you were was how much money you could get the people to give you. If you were a really good teacher, you were kind of a rock star who would get a lot of money. If you weren't that great of a teacher, well, you were probably going hungry. And in the context, Paul comes along, and Paul is a teacher, but Paul's teaching something new. He's not teaching some sort of moral philosophy of people called the Stoics. He's not kind of writing his own ideas. He's coming around talking about the good news of who Jesus is. And as he comes to the church at Corinth, instead of taking their money, instead of saying, yes, why I am a good teacher, give me all the money, Paul has decided in the church of Corinth that what he's going to do is that he is going to make tents. He's going to make his own living. Well, this didn't sit well with the church at Corinth. And the main reason this didn't sit well at the church at Corinth is this. When you paid that roaming teacher a bunch of money, guess what you got in return? You got a little bit of control over them, didn't you? If all of a sudden you set up this sort of patron and client relationship that I'm the one who is paying you to be around... 
When you start saying things that I don't like, guess what I'm going to do? Yoink. Not pay you anymore. And the Corinthians wanted a little bit of control. They wanted Paul to take their money so that they could control what he had to say. So that they could be in charge of it. And what's interesting is that Paul refused to take money from the Corinthians for himself. Why? Why did Paul do this? Why did Paul refuse to take money for himself? It's interesting because the reason was that he was willing to give up his rights, give up what he deserved for the sake of other people hearing the gospel. What I'd like to do is read you how Paul lays this out in the first 18 verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So if you would, stand with me. I'm going to read it out loud. You can follow along either in your Bibles. Uh, if you have the church app, we have a Bible in there. Or it will also be here up on the screen. So let's hear Paul's words to the church at Corinth. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves at a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating of its fruits? Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for the oxen that the God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It is written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a record, a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as to not make full use of my right in the gospel. City Church, this is the word of God written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. So 
So as we read through this passage, this is admittedly one of those passages that when we open up our Bibles and read, seems very foreign to us. Seems very strange. And there's a couple of reasons for its strangeness that I want to point out. One is, the, the big idea of the bulk of this passage is, Paul has the right to receive money from the church at Corinth, to receive wages for serving them as their pastor. But he doesn't take that right. He doesn't avail himself of that. And what he's doing in this passage is kind of being really sarcastic with them. And the trouble with sarcasm is, if nobody gets it, it gets weird. Right? If you are sarcastic and nobody understands it, it is strange. We saw this play out in real time this week. Uh, This week there was a comic um, who posted uh, on Twitter. And he posted that he had received an advanced copy of a book. And he posted a passage from this advanced copy of this book that was about a sort of uh, celebrity. It was about somebody who is very famous and is sometimes uh, awkward. He's the, the kind of famous person who it's easy to believe wild things about. And this comic posted, I received part of this biography, and here is a very, very ridiculous passage from this biography. And Twitter didn't get it. The internet didn't understand. And so everybody started saying, look how crazy this person is. Look at this passage from the biography. And the guy had to go all over the place and say, hey, everybody, I made that whole thing up. That was me being absolutely ridiculous and sarcastic. But what happened? People didn't get it. And it got weird. It got weird because people didn't understand that he was being sarcastic. If we come to the first part of this passage and don't understand that Paul is being sarcastic, we're going to miss out on a lot. right? But Paul is asking all of these sort of sarcastic rhetorical questions. Am I not an apostle? I'm, I, I, what? I, I, am I not an apostle? Right? You can almost hear Paul kind of taking that really sarcastic tone of voice. And what he's doing is he's saying to the Corinthians, I have reasons not for taking your money. I have reasons that I'm doing things a bit differently. But I could. I have the right to. And he sort of goes through and gives, sort of piles up these examples. It's, this passage almost has the rhythm of a high jumper at the Olympics, right? The, the Winter Olympics are coming up, and they don't have high jump at the Winter Olympics, though I think it would be fun and funny if they did. <laughs> Can you imagine trying to do a high jump on the ice? But this passage has the rhythm of a high jumper, right? They sort of they begin to accelerate and pick up speed and then jump. This passage is littered with Paul using all of these examples. Does a soldier have to pay for his combat boots? Well, no, of course not, Paul. Do shepherds not get to have fleece coats? No, well, of course they do, Paul. Paul says, does, uh, does an ox not get to eat some of what it is treading? No, Paul, that's, that's how this works. That's, that's, that's how this works. And Paul says, yes, I know. That's exactly how this works. And that's exactly how it works for me. But I'm doing it a different way. You see, Paul 
wouldn't live for their acclamation. Paul refused to live the way that they wanted him to live. Paul refused to pastor the church at Corinth the way that they wanted to be pastored. He wasn't going to cater to their needs. What's interesting is where our hearts often go when we read something like that. When we start to think about a pastor who won't do what the people want him to do. So our hearts want to go, yeah, I know, I know churches like that. And we want to externalize it. We want to say, I know churches that follow everybody else's whim. And we want to externalize it. And what we do is we insulate ourselves from the way that this cuts at our hearts. Because how many of us live our daily life for the acclaim of others? How many of us are beholden to the opinions of others to give us value? This is something uh, that we in St. Petersburg struggle with. And it's something that cuts across generations. For some of you, it's this idea of do it for the gram. Right? Why do you do it? I do it for the gram. I, I do it so I can post it on social media and everybody will see what I am doing. And some of, some of the folks in here who are sort of, uh, of, a, of one of the greatest generations may look at that and go, well, that's being silly, but think about the way that you behave at a fancy dinner party. Do you tell all of your bad stories? Or do you only tell the good ones that are going on? If you were to go to a high school reunion, would it be strange to find somebody who was only there telling you all of the things that have gone wrong in the past 10, 20, 30 years? Or does everybody put their best self forward? Does everybody say, here's how successful I am? Here's all the good things I have going on in my life. Here's the way that you should like me and be proud of me. Here's the way that you should affirm me. You see, for many of us, we live in an opposite way of Paul. Where Paul refuses to live for the acclaim of others, we live only for the acclaim of others. Where Paul refuses to do what other people want him to do. Refuses to be the popular teacher. Oftentimes, the way that you and I live our life is as a performance to make others care for us. Whether that's a large group of people or a single person. We live our lives for an audience. It's interesting, one of the ways that we see this play out is answering this question. Why don't we share what Jesus has done in our life with others? Why don't we share what Jesus is doing in our life with our friends, our co-workers, and our family? I know what the answer is for me, and I can probably guess what the answer is for you. We don't want to make it weird. We don't want to make it strange. And so to avoid that, we maintain our facade of cool and don't share. What that is at the end of the day is living 
for the acclaim of others. And Paul says, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do what you want me to do, Church of Corinth. I'm not going to live my life by your demands. He says, I'm going to do something different. What I'm going to do is give up my rights. You see, we uh, know our rights in our society, don't we? On every TV show, what does the criminal say as he is being put into the van and taken away? I know my rights. If we were to ask the police officers in our congregation how many times they have heard that phrase, I would guess that it would be legion. Right? I know my rights. And yet, how many of us are willing to give up our rights? See, Paul says, I give up my right. I have the right to draw a salary from you, church at Corinth. And you want me to do it, but I'm not going to. Why? Paul says, I'm not going to take your money because of the reward that I'm looking for. Because of the reward. Now, it's interesting. Because when we think of somebody getting a reward for doing something for Jesus, where do we go? What what do we think of? We think, ah, if I do enough good things for Jesus, what's going to happen is Jesus is going to give me what I want. Right? If if I read my CBR every day this week, I'm not going to have an argument with my wife. Jesus is going to give me what I want if I do enough good deeds. We think that the reward for good Christian living is God giving us whatever we want. And while many of us would would listen to that and go, No, I would never. When we begin to examine our hearts, what do we begin to see? When something bad happens to you, how do you respond? Is your response to something bad happening to you? Uh, Hey God, have I not fill in the blank with my good deeds this week? When something bad happens, don't we say, wait, Jesus, this wasn't part of the bargain. I have been good this week. That means that nothing bad is supposed to happen to me. I thought that's the way that this worked. But that's not what Paul says his reward is. Paul's reward is that he gets to preach the gospel. It's not God's favor. It's that he gets to preach the gospel. How how does that make sense? How does that equation add up? Paul says, I am going to give up my my rights so that I receive the reward, not of God's favor, but of being able to tell others the good news of Jesus. The only way that this works is if we understand the gospel that Paul is talking about. Because the gospel that Paul is talking about, the good news of Jesus, that all of this is based on, is this idea of Jesus' comeuppance. Because what was the just desserts that Jesus deserved for his life? Jesus deserved nothing but good. Jesus just deserts was just deserts. Jesus deserved only good. 
But what did Jesus receive? He was nailed to a Roman cross. He was spit on. He was shamed and embarrassed. Why? Because he was taking your sins and mine. He was taking your shame and mine. He was taking the way that we demand our rights, the way that we demand justice for others and good stuff for us. He was taking all of the ways that we live for the acclaim of others on himself. And the beauty of what Paul is telling them is that Jesus not only takes away our sin and shame, but he gives us his goodness, his righteousness. So that in Jesus, God doesn't look at us and say, oh, they've got a lot of bad stuff coming. If we are in Jesus, God looks at us and says, they get all of the just desserts that Jesus deserved, not that they have earned. And because Paul believes this, he is willing to sacrifice anything. He is willing to give up his rights to see other people changed by this message of free grace. He's willing to give up his reputation. He's willing to sacrifice financially. He's willing to give up his time because he has been changed by the message of Jesus. By Jesus taking away his sin and giving him Jesus' righteousness. This has changed Paul to the core. So, where are we at this morning? Here we are, City Church, 2018. What is this letter that Paul writes? This this portion, this sarcastic portion of a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. Where does it leave us this morning? City Church, we need to begin to understand that Jesus is our righteousness, that Jesus is our goodness, that your righteousness is not based on how well you perform. And it's not based on how well you perform for others, but rather it is based on Jesus alone. And we need to begin to repent of all the ways that we cling on to the acclaim of others. Whether that's our family, whether that's our church, whether that's the people at work, at the gym, or at school, wherever we are, we need to begin to turn from the ways that we trust and the acclaim of others and turn to Jesus because He is our true good. He is the one that can transform us so wholly and truly that we are willing to sacrifice our time, our reputation, our finances to see other people transformed by this same message. This is what Paul is talking to the church at Corinth about, and this is what the Holy Spirit is talking to us about this morning. Let's pray.